Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our in-depth study into the book of Revelation by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. Revelation chapter 1 and Daniel chapter 7. Last week, we talked about John and who he was and all that he went through in being the recipient of this revelation. But we also talked about who the authors of this revelation are, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the last thing we saw was who the book was dedicated to. And it's dedicated to the Lord Jesus, the Lamb of God, who did all of those things for us in saving us, making us be priests, a kingdom to his God, released us from our sin by his shed blood. Well, today I want to talk to you about one verse here in Revelation, and it defines the theme of the book of Revelation. This one verse identifies what is the theme of this revelation, the theme of this book. Matter of fact, you could even expand that and say that, that this verse is actually a theme of the entire Word of God. The entire Word of God. And, and that is found here in Revelation chapter 1, verse number 7. Verse number 7. This is what it says. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes or nations of the earth will mourn over him. Even so, amen. We want to focus on this verse today because it is the theme for this book. If you'll notice in your Bible, it should have identified that verse some way different than ordinary print. It may have a footnote by it. It may be in all caps. It may be in italics. But some way it's going to identify that that verse is different from the rest of what had been written so far in chapter 1. If you look in your Bible and it has a cross-reference, it'll probably help you understand that the reason that looks different in your Bible is because it is a quote from the Old Testament. It is actually a quote from the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verse 13. Whenever he writes that, and whenever it is a record of what was said by Daniel, basically what, what John is saying and what Jesus is saying is that you need to go back and you need to read Daniel. You need to go back and see what happened in the book of Daniel. It, before we had chapters and verses, I hope you understand that when the Word of God was given, there weren't chapters and verses, all right? It was just a letter. And, and the way that you identified what particular book or what particular passage that you wanted to look at in the Old Testament is that you would quote the significant verse or the first phrase of that particular chapter or that particular part of the book. For instance, if you wanted to talk about the 23rd Psalm, you didn't say the 23rd Psalm. You said, the Lord is my shepherd. And that identified that's where they're supposed to go. It's a significant verse. So whenever John writes this and Jesus gives this to him, he's basically saying, go back and look where this was given. Look where this was spoken about. And it was spoken about in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Now, this is basically the fact that 
it reveals that Daniel was given an opportunity some 650 years. Write that down. Some 650 years before John was ever going to see his revelation, Daniel had a chance to peek into heaven and see the revelation. He's going to reveal just a little bit about what is going to happen at the end time. And he's doing that 550 years before Jesus is ever born. He doesn't tell nearly the extent of what Jesus is going to tell, but he tells a brief portion. It's kind of what I would call the cliff note, cleft notes. You remember, did you, ever, did you ever use, use cleft notes? They still have those today. That's where they had a little part, and you'd read it, and hopefully you could get by with your book report without reading the book. <laughs> I saw those guilty eyes, but... It just told you a little portion of it, didn't tell you the great details of it. Well, that's kind of what was happening in Daniel's day. God just allowed him to peek in, and he saw part of what Jesus is going to reveal in all of his glory. Now, one of the things you need to nail down in your heart and life is this. If you're going to understand the book of Revelation, the symbolism of the book of Revelation, then you're going to need to go back and you're going to need to study the book of Daniel. Because, see, the book of Daniel is basically the foundation book of the Revelation. And it provides the building blocks whereby the Revelation takes on its meaning and purpose. It's just a brief look into that. And here in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, turn there in your Bibles, you find out that in that verse, it's exactly what had been said and what John quoted. Here's what it says. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. What Daniel does there in that particular vision that he sees, he introduces us to somebody that he calls the son of man. The first introduction that we have to this one who's called the Son of Man. But Daniel says that is his name. And he goes on to describe how he's going to be given dominion and authority and power. He's going to be the ruler of this world. God, who's the Ancient of Days, is going to give that to him. Well, who is the Son of Man? That's Jesus. Matter of fact, when Jesus walked on this earth, do you know that Jesus called himself the Son of Man? And when he said the Son of Man, anybody who would have known what Daniel said, and they knew that, they knew what he was talking about, that he was the one that was the coming one who would be given that dominion. And therefore, in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, we're introduced to this Son of Man. But that's not all that happens in Daniel 7. Daniel 7 is actually a vision that God gives to Daniel regarding the events that are going to happen in his life and the life of Israel from that point all the way to the second coming of Jesus. Can you imagine that? He's going to give him a vision about that. Now, I want you to, we're going to put online, uh, in 2013 in the other service, I preached the entire book of Daniel. So sermons 14, 15, and 16 deal with this chapter. And we're going to put those online this week for you to go back. It'd be really helpful for you to go back. I don't have time to preach it for you and to you. But if you'll go back, it'll help you to understand a number of things. It'll help you understand a vision 
that he received at this time. It's actually a parallel vision to one that King Nebuchadnezzar had had. In Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar had a vision where he saw a statue. And he couldn't understand what that statue meant. And he wouldn't tell anybody what he had seen in the vision. He was going to kill all the wise men until Daniel said, let me pray and God will reveal to me the meaning of that vision. And he shows him what the vision is. He tells him, you saw a statue. The head was of gold. The breastplate and the arms were silver. The belly and the thighs were made of bronze. The legs were made of iron and the feet were made of, of iron and clay. That's what you saw. He goes on and gives an interpretation. He says, those things represent four kingdoms, four Gentile kingdoms that will rule over the nation of Israel. Remember, the focal point of God in all of this earth is the nation of Israel and Jerusalem. All right? That is the focal. It's not the U.S., I'm sorry. The focal point of God is what happens in that promised land, in that place. And he says, this vision is about four kingdoms that's going to exist. The first of those kingdoms is going to be the Babylonian kingdom. And that's the king Nebuchadnezzar. All right? Now, this particular vision was given to Nebuchadnezzar, and Daniel tells him what it means. And he says, you're going to be that head of gold, the Babylonian kingdom. But then there's going to be a kingdom that is going to come after you. It's going to be inferior to your kingdom, but it is going to defeat you and take over your kingdom. It is going to be the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. The Medes and the Persians. He goes on and says, and beyond that, there's going to be a third kingdom that's going to come that's going to defeat the Medes and the Persians, and that is going to be the Greek kingdom. And the ruler in that kingdom was called Alexander the Great. You remember him? Alexander the Great in a short time defeated the known world and he took rulership of the world and he was ruling over Israel. And then he says there's also going to be a fourth kingdom that's going to be represented by the iron and the iron mixed with clay and that is going to be the Roman kingdom. Now this has been being told to Nebuchadnezzar in about 600 uh, B.C. Well, in, in Daniel 7, Daniel receives a vision. And an angel comes and gives him the interpretation. His vision is a parallel vision. He sees out of the great sea, the Mediterranean Sea, he says four beasts that come forth. That's in Daniel 7. He said the first of those is a lion who has like the wings of an eagle. And that represented the Babylonian kingdom. He said after that there's a bear that's raised up on one side and has three ribs in its mouth. That represents the Medo-Persian kingdom. And the three ribs means that they had to defeat three kingdoms in order to rule the world. They did. They defeated the Babylonians. They defeated the Egyptians and Lydia. Defeated those three for them to rule the world. After that, then, there is one who's coming that is a leopard. that has four sets of wings and four heads representing the Greek kingdom under Alexander the Great. Why four heads? Because Alexander the Great died at a very young age, had no children to pass the kingdom on to, and his kingdom eventually was divided by four, into four generals. Those four generals took over that kingdom. And then finally he saw a beast that he could not describe. It was a horrible, terrible beast. A beast that it says caused him grief in his heart that came forth different from all the others, and that represented the Roman Empire. Now, all of that was said to him in his vision in 553 B.C., the first year of the reign of King Belshazzar, who was in Nebuchadnezzar's 
He followed Nebuchadnezzar. Now, all of that was told to him that this is going to happen. And it happened just like that. On the board, I don't know if she has it up there yet. The Babylonian kingdom started in 605 and ended at 539. The Medes and the Persians started in 539 and ended in 330 B.C. Greeks started in 330 B.C., ended in 63 B.C. The Romans started in 63 B.C. and were never defeated. They just dissipated. I want to talk about that in just a minute. What I want you to know is this. Our God knows everything before it happens, tells you what's going to happen before it happens, so that when it happens, you realize he's God. You got it? And he's telling in that vision exactly what is going to happen. And, and Daniel, when he receives it, is living in the midst of the Babylonian kingdom. He does live on into the Medo-Persian kingdom when Darius becomes king. But he never lived beyond the Greeks and beyond the Romans. But it happened just like God said it would happen. That's a great God that we serve. Now, what that defines and what that describes is what is called the time of the Gentiles. It is called the time of the Gentiles. The time of the Gentiles started either in 605 B.C. when the Babylonians deported all the people away from Israel or in 587 B.C., when they destroyed the temple and totally annihilated the Jews. Some part in there begins the time of the Gentiles. And the time of the Gentiles in each one of those four kingdoms, and it continues to exist until the second coming of Jesus. All right? At the second coming of Jesus, then it will no longer be the time of the Gentiles. Now, let's go back to the Roman Empire for just a minute. The Roman Empire was never defeated. Every one of these other kingdoms was defeated by the following kingdom. But the Roman kingdom never was defeated. In 500, BC, or 500 AD, it dissipated. What it means is the barbarians came down. They couldn't defeat the barbarians. So it weakened the kingdom. And each one of these began to divide off into their own nations. But no one ever defeated the Roman Empire. You got it? No one ever defeated them. Hold on a second. Here's what happened. The Roman Empire still exists to this day. The Roman setup is still to this day. And what you're going to find in the book of Revelation, and what he, Daniel even sees briefly in this vision, is that whenever we approach the end of time, and when it's right before the Son of Man is going to come and have dominion, there's going to be the reestablishment of the Roman Empire. It's going to happen when ten nations come together and form a world government. And in the midst of those ten nations where the Roman Empire is going to be reestablished, in the midst of those ten nations ruling, eventually there's going to be a world ruler, and his name is going to be the Antichrist. The Antichrist. And that will happen in those times of tribulation. In that time of tribulation. And he's going to do war and he's going to do battle and he's going to persecute the Jews. He's going to persecute anybody who believes until finally and ultimately Jesus will come on the scene and put an end to it. We'll put an end to it. Now, Daniel, when he saw this vision, it troubled his heart. But the one thing that God let him see that gave him encouragement was that alongside of this vision of what was going to happen to his nation and to his people, and he has no idea how long it's going to take. Alongside of that, God lets him see, first of all, the Son of Man who goes and has relationship to the one who's called the Ancient of Days. 
Now, who is the Ancient of Days? That's God. That's God the Father. You know what Ancient of Days means? It means he has no beginning and he has no end. If you look at verse 9 in the Revelation, it says that the Lord God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am what? The beginning and the end. The eternal God. And that's who the Ancient of Days is. The eternal God who has no beginning and no end. It tells him in there that the Ancient of Days is going to go take his place on the throne. And he is going to judge the nations. Not people. He's going to judge those nations. Primarily those nations that it's just talked about. And those kingdoms that are there. But right in the midst of that, it tells us that there is one who is coming. Who is called the Son of Man. Coming, the Son of Man. Who is going to be given dominion and authority and power. And is going to rule and reign. And going to defeat the enemy. And going to be almighty God in this world. Talking about Jesus. And Daniel is describing the second coming of Jesus Christ. All right? Now that is a synopsis of all that happens in, in Daniel chapter 7. You need to go back. I promise you, go back and listen to those messages. It will help you to put together and to understand the characters and how this is played. Daniel sees the Son of Man coming on the cloud of glory, and he's going to rule and have dominion, and he's going to defeat the old enemy. Amen? And evil is going to be the evil host that works in cooperation with him that's an enemy. They are going to be defeated. But the first place that this is introduced is in Daniel. In 553 B.C. Now, come back to the Revelation. And what John is saying is go back and read where it first was said. But come to understand that what is said is truth. And it's the theme of this book. So what does it say? Let's talk about what it says. The first thing it says, behold. That means stop everything. Everybody stop. Everybody look. Everybody listen. What's about to be said is of utmost importance. You need to hear what is going to take place. It says, behold, here it is. He is coming with the clouds. He is coming with the clouds. What does that mean? Well, that's exactly what Daniel said. He beheld the Son of Man coming in or with the clouds. Well, the cloud, clouds represent in the Word of God. It represents the presence of God. Do you remember that when the children of Israel were being led in the wilderness? They were led by a pillar of fire at night and a what? By day. A cloud by day. And whenever they had the tabernacle and the Shekinah glory came over it, the cloud of God came over the tabernacle representing the presence of God. It's not like any ordinary cloud. It's the fact that it's just this aspect of something beyond this world that signifies the holiness, the righteousness, and all that there is in the glory and the Shekinah glory of God. Whenever you try to describe something, you just try to use anything you can imagine. And that's what, that's what Daniel said, and, and that's what John's writing. And he beholds and says, listen, he is coming in the clouds with all the glory of God. Now, this is not the first time it said the first time it said is Daniel 7, 13. But to give you validity about that, I want you to see what Jesus says. Write these down. 
in Matthew 24, verses 29 through 30. You know what, you know what Jesus says about his coming? He quotes Daniel 7, 13. And behold, the Son of Man will come in a cloud. In that passage in Matthew 26, 62 through 64, once again, Jesus talking about his second coming. You know what he says? And the Son of Man, quoting Daniel 7, will come in the cloud, the presence of God. And then in Acts, we've seen this before, but in Acts 1, verses 9 through 11, it's where at the Mount of Ascension, whenever he goes up, it says, and Jesus goes up in a cloud. And the angel asked those apostles sitting there, said, hey, guys, what are y'all standing here for? Said, whenever he returns, he will come just like he left. As he left in the clouds, he will what? He will come in the clouds. And so this coming is the presence and power of God, the revelation of the glory of God when Jesus shows up. That's not all it says, though. Behold, he will come in a cloud. Look what else. And every eye will see him. Every eye will see him. Now, this means that he will be visibly recognized. He will be visibly recognized. It's not that we see him in our mind. If somebody comes and says, oh, Jesus is not really coming back to this earth. He's not coming back physically and visibly. He's just coming back in his kingdom. And that Jesus is here right now. And his presence is known right now. So that, that's the coming of Jesus right now by his spirit. No, my friend. <laughs> the second coming of Jesus is going to be visible. It's going to be visible. And, and the second coming or advent of Jesus will be just like it was in the first. Whenever Jesus came in the first day, we just see the baby Jesus in our mind. We just see him in our mind. Well, we're imagining he's right there in that manger. <laughs> we imagine he's walking around and healing people. But he's not really. No. He came here in body, in flesh. If, if the first advent was that way, the second advent will be as well. So that means what it say in the first advent. It says, our hands handled him. Isn't that right? Our hands handled him. He was physical. He was real. He was here in bodily form. Even after his resurrection, he was here in bodily form. Remember whenever they said, well, he, he was able to go through doors, but then they said, well, who are you or what are you? Are you a ghost? He basically said, do you have anything to eat? Have anything to eat? I can eat something. I can have it. A ghost can't eat anything. He said, I'm back here in bodily form. Our hands handled him, our eyes looked upon him, and the word was made flesh. That was the first advent. And the second advent will be exactly the same. He will be here in bodily form. So let's make a valid comparison between the first advent and the second advent. If he came to Bethlehem, he will come to Olivet. Amen? If he showed up at Bethlehem the first time, He's coming to the Mount of Olives the second time. If he came to die on a cross, he will come to reign over this world. If he came to be crucified, he will come again to be admired. He comes in physical, visible form. Now, write this down. 
There is no meaning to the first advent of our Lord if we forget or forsake the second. You need to write that down. If you don't believe he's coming again, stop celebrating Christmas. Stop Googling over Christmas and the babe of Bethlehem. It has no meaning if he doesn't come again. The second advent of Christ gives significance and meaning and purpose for why he came the first time. And you need to understand that when it says that he came, they saw him and we will see him. If you read through the revelation carefully, or even the word of God, there seems like there's an apparent contradiction in some verses. Let me show you what that apparent contradiction is. In the Revelation, this verse we just read, Revelation 1, 7, it says, every eye shall see him. Doesn't it? Yes, it does. Every eye shall see him. But if you look down in Revelation 16, 15, this is what it says. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he who that watcheth and keepeth his garment, lest he walk unrobed, and they see his shame. In other words, Jesus says there he's coming as a thief. Look at Revelation 3, 3. I will come upon thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Those two things seem like a contradiction, don't they? I mean, one is he's coming and every eye is going to behold him. Every eye is going to see him. And the next one is he's coming like a thief in the night. And you better be ready. That seems like a contradiction in the Revelation. Well, in the whole Word of God, that same contradiction can be appeared. Look, look what it says in other Scripture. In 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 10, it says, When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. He's talking about that experience where every eye is going to see him. In Matthew 24, 27 through 30, this is Jesus speaking. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth over into the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. In other words, he said, if you see lightning that goes from this side and lightning goes all the way to that side and everybody sees it, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Every eye will see him. All right? But listen to these other verses of Scripture, like Matthew 24, 42. Watch therefore you do not, for you do not know what hour the Lord doth come. Our first Thessalonians five, one through two. For you yourselves know perfectly that the Lord, the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Or in Second Peter three, eight through nine, where it says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. One part says, every eye will see him. He's going to be revealed in all of his glory. And the other, he's coming as a thief in the night. It appears like a contradiction. But there is no contradiction. There are no contradictions in the word of God. He puts it all together. If you think it's a contradiction, you just don't know it. You just don't see the whole thing. There is no contradiction in what he says. Now, let's talk about it. That there's no contradiction. First of all, write this statement down. The statement that all will see him should not, as some infer, mean that all will see him at the same time, at the same place, in the same manner, with the same feelings. All right? I mean, all are going to see him. 
But it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen all at the same time. And certainly not with all the same feelings are all in the same manner. But every eye will see him. Matter of fact, what this, these scriptures that seem like there's a contradiction are actually saying is telling us this. That there are actually two acts. Two acts in this drama of Jesus coming again. Two acts in this drama of Jesus coming again. The first of those acts will, there will be some who will see him when he comes as a thief to steal away his jewels. He's going to steal away his jewels. You know who his jewels are? His people. You know what that describes? That describes the rapture of the church. That's when the church is going to be raptured. You need to get that in your heart and in your mind. There is this rapture of the church. And when the rapture of the church takes place, it's going to be a secret event. It's going to be a stealth event. It's going to be where the world, the world is not going to see him at that point in time. But those who know him and who have known him will see him at that time. The word of God teaches that to us. Now, if you say, well, that doesn't seem like that really happens. And where does that say in the word of God? Well, in the word of God, through his types and through promises and through stories, it reveals this taking away. I want to give you three stories in the Bible that helps us to understand this aspect of being translated or taken away in a moment. Do any of you remember the story of Enoch? Enoch's story is found in Genesis chapter 5. What did it say about Enoch? What is known about Enoch? It's recorded in Hebrews chapter 11. What about Enoch? That he walked with God and then what? And then he was not. Right? He walked with God and then he was not. Enoch did not die. You know what happened? God just took him. God just took him. Now, I'm going to tell you, Enoch's a pretty good guy. Amen? If God said, boy, I like you so much, Enoch, you're not going to die. I'm just going to take you up there. One guy said that Enoch walked with God so much that he and God were just walking one day. And he said, he said Enoch, listen, we're closer to my house than yours. Why don't you just come on? That's a close walk with God. But he did not die, but he was taken by God. That is a picture of what is going to happen with the church of the living God. Do you realize that the church is called the Greek word ekklesia? That's the word for the word church, ekklesia. You know what the word ekklesia means? It means the called out ones, the called out ones. First of all, to be in the church, you've been called out of the world and out of your life to enter into the kingdom of God, to be a part of the family of God. You are called by God. But that's not all ekklesia means. The fulfillment of you being the ecclesia and the church of God is you are going to be called out. You're going to be called out. One day, you're going to be in normal life without expecting anything, and nobody knows when it's going to happen. It could happen before I finish this message. Bless God if it does. One day, you're going to be gone if you're part of the church. You're going to be raptured. It is going to be a secret event that is going to take place. Matthew 24, verses 40 and 41, is where Jesus tells about that. He said, there's two men in the field. One is gone and one is left. There are two at the grinding wheel. One is gone and one is left. 
There's this experience that Jesus said is going to take place, the calling out of the church. A second illustration, though, that you need to remember, and this is one Jesus told us about, was Noah. You remember what happened to Noah, don't you? For 120 years, Noah builds this ark. Hadn't even rained on the earth at that time. He builds an ark. Not near the Mediterranean Sea where he builds it, but he builds an ark for 120 years. And he tells people, God said it's going to rain. God says it's going to flood. He keeps telling people. But eventually when Noah builds the ark and he finishes the ark, go read it in the word. He will tell Noah after the animals are on board, he will tell Noah and his family to get in the ark. And God shuts the door. Noah doesn't shut the door. God shuts the door. There is no announcement. There is no banner. Today is the day we enter the ark. There's nothing. God set the time. And God said to Noah, Noah, go in the ark. And he shut the door. No announcement. The world is unaware of what is about to happen. But what takes place? The flood comes. And the only ones who are saved are Noah and his family who are in that ark, and everybody else perishes. Now, what does Jesus say in Matthew, I mean, in Luke chapter 17, verses 26 through 27, I think it is, 26 through 28. Read that, because this is what Jesus said. Just as it was in the day of Noah, so shall it be when the coming of the Son of Man will take place. They were marrying and giving in marriage and living in mar- living their life the way they'd been living their life. And all of a sudden, it was over, for Noah was taken away in the ark. That's what Jesus said. A third illustration, you remember about Lot? Remember Sodom and Gomorrah? Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot had chosen to go and to live in Sodom. And Sodom became such a wicked place that God said, literally, he had to destroy Sodom. Abraham negotiated, said, God, if you can find 10 righteous men, would you let it survive? He said, if I can find 10 righteous men. But you know what? They couldn't. There weren't 10 righteous men there. But there was one righteous man. You know what his name was? Lot, a man of faith. Now, Lot's a sorry believer. I mean, just go read it. He, he compromises life. He lives among the, them. He loses his witness with his family. He is a, a compromising, backslidden believer. But he's still a believer. Amen? That gives some of us hope. <laughs> Nothing about him says he ought to be saved. But he was because he believed. And so what happened? The angels came and told Lot, Lot, gather up your family and get out of this, get out of this city. Get out of this city. And so he begins to gather up his family. His son-in-laws to be wouldn't go because they didn't believe him. His wife turns around and looks. She doesn't even want to follow him all the way. But he makes his way out. And this is what the angel of the Lord said. You must leave, Lot, because we cannot do anything as far as judgment upon this city. We cannot do anything until you are there. Until you've arrived at where you're supposed to be. In other words, 
It's the picture that God could not rain down judgment and the fire of righteous indignation upon this earth until his people had first been taken out. You get the picture? And it was Jesus who said there in Luke 17, verses 28 through about 30, he says, and so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. You want to know why? Do you want to know why the great tribulation is not going to happen and has not happened in your day and my day? Because the church of the living God is here. And not until the church is taken away, is raptured, will the great tribulation take place and the judgment of God as he turns loose Satan for seven years before he comes back to put him in place. So there are those who are going to see him like a thief in the night. They're going to be gathered up. Talks about Thessalonians. If you're alive, you're going to be gathered up, changed in the twink of an eye. If you're dead in Christ, you're going to rise first. You're going to go meet the Lord in the air. What an experience that's going to be. Now, for those of you who don't know Jesus, you better get to know him. Amen. You say, well, I'm pretty sorry. Well, Lot was too, bless God. Maybe you can make it. Amen. Just believe in Jesus Christ. Trust him as Lord and say, this is your opportunity for salvation. When he comes the second time, he doesn't take anybody with him. Jesus comes the second time to rule and reign on this earth. He's going to establish his millennial reign at that time. But between the rapture and between that second coming, there are those days of tribulation. Well, the second act... It is when the others who will see him like the lightning that strikes from the east to the west. Everybody will see him. The world will know him. That is the second coming. That's the second coming after the tribulation. And just to tell you and summarize, it is this public uh, coming of Jesus that's the focus of the book of Revelation. Everything about the book of Revelation, other than the first three chapters, everything is about this second coming that's going to take place after the tribulation. The church is gone. After chapter 3, the church is not there anymore. So everything that's there is going to be about the tribulation, the experience, and Jesus coming, and the millennial reign, and we'll focus more on that. So what are some things that I want you to grab hold of and know? It's this. First, he is coming for his people. His first coming is for his people, which ushers in the great tribulation on this earth. And then next, he's coming back openly, publicly with his people. (laughs) We're going to be coming with him, amen? You're going to be coming with him at the second coming. And, And I hope you know that you're coming with him. I hope you have that confidence in your heart and in your life. In these comings, there is the glorious triumph of the people of God. Amen and hallelujah. But also, there's also the terrible horror and despair of the unrepentant. That's where it says, the kindred of the earth will look upon him, even those who pierced him, and they will wail, or they will mourn. When he comes, and everybody's going to see him. For those of us who are believers, it's a great, glorious triumph. But for those who are unrepentant, those who are lost, it says there will be wailing at his appearing. 
For even those who pierced him, just taking one example, those who nailed him to that cross, those who pierced him, they're going to see him face to face. They're going to see him in all of his glory. And every unrepentant heart who does not believe and has not accepted that he is the son of God will see him and they will well. The Greek word literally means they are cut. It's the idea that when people of that day, when they got in such misery, they would literally cut themselves. They would cut themselves to picture their misery. The misery of their life, the misery of their heart, because they see the one that they rejected, and they missed the opportunity of mercy and grace. Now, if you don't write another thing down, you write this last statement down, because this is truth you need to know. All must someday look upon the face of our Lord. I don't care where you are. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your job is. I don't care what your economic status is. I don't care what your personality is, how outgoing or ingoing you are. I don't care anything about it. I can tell you one thing. One day, you're going to look at Jesus face to face, and you're going to give an account of your life. And I pray, I hope, I beg of you, today is the day of mercy. Today is the day of grace. Give your heart to Christ. Give your heart to Christ. For he is coming in the cloud. And all will see him. Even so. Amen. Even so. Amen. Do you know him? If you don't know him, you need to give your heart to him today. Say, oh, Brother Mac, you're trying to scare me into heaven. If I can, I will. I'm here to tell you, I can't even picture how fearful it is. I can't even begin to explain that. But I hope it scares you enough that you realize that life is real, death is real, judgment is real, and the opportunity for grace is now. And give your heart to Christ today. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon dash series Jesus said I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace in this world you will have trouble I have overcome the world we can help you know the one who can bring you peace find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.